Section 17 of Letters of Mrs. Adams, Volume 1, by Charles Francis Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 17, The Letters, 1782-1783. 13 November, 1782, to John Adams. My dearest friend, I have lived to see the close of the third year of our separation. This is a melancholy anniversary to me, and many tender scenes arise in my mind upon the recollection. I feel unable to sustain even the idea that it will be half that period ere we meet again. Life is too short to have the dearest of its enjoyments curtailed. The social feelings grow callous by disuse and lose that pliancy of affection which sweetens the cup of life as we drink it. The rational pleasures of friendship and society, and the still more refined sensations of which delicate minds only are susceptible, like the tender blossom when the rude northern blasts assail them, shrink within, and collect themselves together, deprived of the all-cheering and beamy influence of the sun. The blossom falls, and the fruit withers and decays. But here the similitude fails, for, though lost for the present, the season returns, the tree vegetates anew, and the blossom again puts forth. But, alas, with me, those days which are past are gone for ever, and time is hastening on that period when I must fall to rise no more, until mortality shall put on immortality, and we shall meet again pure and disembodied spirits. Could we live to the age of the antediluvians, we might better support this separation. But when threescore years and ten circumscribe the life of man, how painful is the idea that, of that short space, only a few years of social happiness are our allotted portion. Perhaps I make you unhappy. No, you will enter with a soothing tenderness into my feelings. I see in your eyes the emotions of your heart, and hear the sigh that is wafted across the Atlantic to the bosom of Portia. But the philosopher and the statesman stifles these emotions, and regains a firmness which arrests my pen in my hand. 25 November I received from France by the Alexander, yours, bearing no date, but by the contents written about the same time with those I received by Mr. Guild. Shall I return the compliment, and tell you in a poetical style, should at my feet the world's great master fall, himself, his world, his throne, I'd scorn them all. No, give me the man I love. You are neither of an age or temper to be allured by the splendor of a court or the smiles of princesses. I never suffered an uneasy sensation on that account. I know I have a right to your whole heart, because my own never knew another lord. And such is my confidence in you, that if you were not withheld by the strongest of all obligations, those of a moral nature, your honor would not suffer you to abuse my confidence. But whither am I rambling? We have not anything in the political way worth noticing. The fleet of our allies still remains with us. 
who is there left that will sacrifice as others have done? Portia, I think, stands alone, alas, in more senses than one. This vessel will convey to you the packets designed for the firebrand. I hope, unimportant as they are, they will not be lost. Shall I close here, without a word of my voyage? I believe it is best to wait a reply before I say anything further. Our friends desire me to remember them to you. Your daughter, your image, your superscription, desires to be affectionately remembered to you. Oh, how many of the sweet domestic joys do you lose by this separation from your family? I have the satisfaction of seeing my children thus far in life, behaving with credit and honor. God grant the pleasing prospect may never meet with an alloy, and return to me, the dear partner of my early years, rewarded for his past sacrifices, by the consciousness of having been extensively useful, not having lived to himself alone, and may the approving voice of his country crown his later days in peaceful retirement in the affectionate bosom of Portia. 23 December, 1782, to John Adams. My dearest friend, I have omitted writing by the last opportunity to Holland, because I had but small faith in the designs of the owners or passengers and I had just written you so largely by a vessel bound to France that I had nothing new to say. There are few occurrences in this northern climate, at this season of the year, to divert or entertain you, and in the domestic way, should I draw you the picture of my heart, it would be what I hope you still would love, though it contained nothing new. The early possession you obtained there and the absolute power you have ever maintained over it, leave not the smallest space unoccupied. I look back to the early days of our acquaintance and friendship, as to the days of love and innocence, and with an indescribable pleasure I have seen near a score of years roll over our heads, with an affection heightened and improved by time, nor have the dreary years of absence in the smallest degree effaced from my mind the image of the dear, untitled man to whom I gave my heart. I cannot sometimes refrain considering the honors with which he is invested as badges of my unhappiness. The unbounded confidence I have in your attachment to me, and the dear pledges of our affection, has soothed the solitary hour and rendered your absence more supportable, for had I loved you with the same affection, it must have been misery to have doubted. Yet a cruel world too often injures my feelings by wondering how a person possessed of domestic attachments can sacrifice them by absenting himself for years. If you had known, said a person to me the other day, that Mr. Adams would have remained so long abroad, would you have consented that he should have gone? I recollected myself a moment, and then spoke the real dictates of my heart. If I had known, sir, that Mr. Adams could have effected what he has done, I would not only have submitted to the absence I have endured, painful as it has been, but I would not have opposed it, even though three more years should be added to the number, which heaven avert. 
I feel a pleasure in being able to sacrifice my selfish passions to the general good, and in imitating the example which has taught me to consider myself and family but as the small dust of the balance when compared with the great community. It is now, my dear friend, a long, long time since I had a line from you. The fate of Gibraltar leads me to fear that a peace is far distant, and that I shall not see you, God only knows when. I shall say little about my former request, not that my desire is less, but before this can reach you, tis probable I may receive your opinion. If in favor of my coming to you, I shall have no occasion to urge it further. If against it, I would not embarrass you by again requesting it. I will endeavor to sit down and consider it as the portion allotted me. My dear sons are well. Our friends all desire to be remembered. The fleet of our allies expects to sail daily, but where destined we know not. A great harmony has subsisted between them and the Americans ever since their residence here. Adieu, my dear friend. Why is it that I hear so seldom from my dear John? But one letter have I ever received from him since he arrived in Petersburg. I wrote him by the last opportunity. Ever remember me, as I do you, with all the tenderness which it is possible for one object to feel for another, which no time can obliterate, no distance alter, but which is always the same in the bosom of Portia. 28 April, 1783, to John Adams. My dearest friend, at length an opportunity offers, after a space of near five months, of again writing to you, not a vessel from any port in this state has sailed since January, by which I could directly convey you a line. I have written twice by way of Virginia, but fear the letters will never reach you. From you I have lately received several letters containing the most pleasing intelligence. Peace o'er the world her olive branch extends. Hail, goddess, heavenly bright, profuse of joy and pregnant with delight. The garb of this favorite of America is woven of an admirable texture and proves the great skill, wisdom, and abilities of the master workman. It was not fabricated in the loom of France, nor are the materials English, but they are the product of our own American soil, raised and nurtured, not by the gentle showers of heaven, but by the hard labor and indefatigable industry and firmness of her sons and watered by the blood of many of them. May its duration be in proportion to its value, and, like the mantle of the prophet, descend with blessings to generations yet to come. And may you, my dearest friend, return to your much-loved solitude with the pleasing reflection of having contributed to the happiness of millions. We have not received any account of the signing the definitive treaty so that no public rejoicings have taken place as yet. The fifth article in the treaty has raised the old spirit against the Tories to such a height that it would be at the risk of their lives should they venture here. It may subside after a while, but I question whether any state in the Union will admit them, even for twelve months. 
what then would have been the consequence if compensation had been granted them your journal has afforded me and your friends much pleasure and amusement you will learn perhaps from congress that the journal you meant for mr jackson was by some mistake enclosed to the minister for foreign affairs and consequently came before congress with other public papers the massachusetts delegates applied for it but were refused it mr jackson was kind enough to wait upon me and show me your letter to him and the other papers enclosed and i communicated the journal to him mr higginson writes that it was moved in congress by hamilton of virginia and wilson of pennsylvania to censure their ministers for departing from their duty in not adhering to their instructions and for giving offense to the court of france by distrusting their friendship they however could not carry their point it was said the instruction alluded to was founded upon reciprocity and that count de vergen had not acted upon that principle when these gentry found that it would not be considered in the light in which they wished they gave out that if no more was said upon the subject the other would drop this is all i have been able to collect my intelligence is very imperfect since mr lovell left congress note this will account for the errors which are many and striking in this paragraph mr jerry i believe is determined to go again i shall then have a friend and correspondent who will keep me informed upon receiving a letter from you in which you desire me to come to you should you be long detained abroad i took the liberty of writing to dr lee requesting him to give me the earliest intelligence respecting the acceptance of your resignation i do not think it will be accepted by what i have already learnt if it is not i shall still feel undetermined what to do from many of your letters i was led to suppose you would not return without permission yet i do not imagine the bare renewal of a former commission would induce you to tarry i shall not run the risk unless you are appointed minister at the court of great britain our friends are all well and desire to be affectionately remembered to you where is our son i hear no more of him than if he was out of the world you wrote me in yours of december fourth that he was upon his journey to you but i have never heard of his arrival need i add how earnestly i long for the day when heaven will again bless us in the society of each other whether upon european or american ground is yet in the book of uncertainty but to feel entirely happy and easy i believe it must be in our own republican cottage with a simplicity which has ever distinguished it and your ever affectionate portia twenty nine april i last evening received yours of february eighteenth in which you are explicit with regard to your return i shall therefore let congress renew or create what commission they please at least wait your further direction though you should be induced to tarry abroad i have taken no step as yet with regard to coming out except writing to dr lee as mentioned before heaven send you safe to your ever affectionate portia braintree twenty june seventeen eighty three to john adams my dearest friend 
if i was certain i should welcome you to your native land in the course of the summer i should not regret mr smith's going abroad without me should it be otherwise should you still be detained abroad i must submit satisfied that you judge best and that you would not subject me to so heavy a disappointment or yourself to so severe a mortification as i flatter myself it would be but for the general good a european life would you say be the ruin of our children if so i should be as loath as you to hazard their imbibing sentiments and opinions which might make them unhappy in a sphere of life which tis probable they must fill not by indulging in luxuries for which it is more than possible they might contract a taste and inclination but in studious and laborious pursuits you have before this day received a joint commission for forming a commercial treaty with britain i am at a loss to determine whether you will consider yourself so bound by it as to tarry longer abroad perhaps there has been no juncture in the public affairs of our country not even in the hour of our deepest distress when able statesmen and wise counsellors were more wanted than at the present day peace abroad leaves us at leisure to look into our own domestic affairs although upon an estimate of our national debt it appears but as the small dust of the balance when compared to the object we have obtained and the benefits we have secured yet the restless spirit of man will not be restrained and we have reason to fear that domestic jars and confusion will take place of foreign contentions and devastation congress have commuted with the army by engaging to them five years pay in lieu of half pay for life with security for this they will disband contented but our wise legislators are about disputing the power of congress to do either without considering their hands in the mouth of the lion and that if the just and necessary food is not supplied the outrageous animal may become so ferocious as to spread horror and devastation another theseus may arise who by his reputation and exploits of valor his personal character and universal popularity may destroy our amphictyonic system and subjugate our infant republic to monarchical domination our house of representatives is this year composed of more than a hundred new members some of whom no doubt are good men nearly all the able and skilful members who composed the last house have lost their seats by voting for the return of mr brattle notwithstanding the strongest evidence in his favor and the many proofs which were produced of his friendly conduct towards america for this crime our worthy friend mr cranch was dropped by this town the senate is a loser this year by the resignation of some excellent members we have in this state an impost of five per cent and an excise act while the neighboring states have neither foreigners finding this the case carry their cargoes to other states at this the merchant grumbles the farmer groans with his taxes and the mechanic for want of employ heaven avert that like the greek republics we should by civil dissension weaken our power and crush our rising greatness that the blood of our citizens should be shed in vain and the labor and toil of our statesmen be finally baffled through niggardly parsimony 
lavish prodigality, or ignorance of our real interests. We want a Solomon in wisdom to guide and conduct this great people at this critical era, when the counsels which are taken, and the measures which are pursued, will mark our future character, either with honor and fame, or disgrace and infamy. In adversity we have conducted with prudence and magnanimity. Heaven forbid that we should grow giddy with prosperity, or the height to which we have soared render a fall conspicuously fatal. Thus far I had written when your welcome favor of March 28th reached me. I was not disappointed in finding you uncertain with regard to the time of your return. Should the appointment, which I fear you have hinted at, take place, it would indeed be a dull day to me. I have not a wish to join in a scene of life so different from that in which I have been educated, and in which my early, and I must suppose, happier days have been spent. Curiosity satisfied, and I shall sigh for tranquil scenes, and wish that heaven had left me still, the whispering zephyr and the purling rill." Well-ordered home is my chief delight, and the affectionate domestic wife, with the relative duties which accompany that character, my highest ambition. It was the disinterested wish of sacrificing my personal feelings to the public utility, which first led me to think of unprotectedly hazarding a voyage. I say unprotectedly, for so I consider every lady who is not accompanied by her husband. This objection could only be surmounted by the earnest wish I had to soften those toils which were not to be dispensed with, and if the public welfare required your labors and exertions abroad, I flattered myself that, if I could be with you, it might be in my power to contribute to your happiness and pleasure. But the day is now arrived when with honor and well-earned fame you may return to your native land when I cannot any longer consider it as my duty to submit to a further separation, and when it appears necessary that those abilities which have crowned you with laurels abroad shall be exerted at home for the public safety. I do not wish you to accept an embassy to England should you be appointed. This little cottage has more heartfelt satisfaction for you than the most brilliant court can afford. I will bid you good night. Yours, Portia. End of section 17